This is section 60 of The Gilded Age. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. The Gilded Age, a tale of today by Mark Twain and C.D. Warner. Chapter 60 For some days Laura had been a free woman once more. During this time she had experienced, first, two or three days of triumph, excitement, congratulations, a sort of sunburst of gladness after a long night of gloom and anxiety then two or three days of calming down by degrees a receding of tides a quieting of the storm wash to a murmurous surf-beat a diminishing of devastating winds to a refrain that bore the spirit of a truce days given to solitude rest self-communion and the reasoning of herself into a realization of the fact that she was actually done with bolts and bars prison horrors and impending death then came a day whose hours filed slowly by her, each laden with some remnant, some remaining fragment of the dreadful time so lately ended, a day which, closing at last, left the past a fading shore behind her, and turned her eyes toward the broad sea of the future. So speedily do we put the dead away, and come back to our place in the ranks, to march in the pilgrimage of life again. And now the sun rose once more, and ushered in the first day of what Laura comprehended and accepted as a new life. The past had sunk below the horizon, and existed no more for her. She was done with it for all time. She was gazing out over the trackless expanses of the future now, with troubled eyes. Life must be begun again, at eight and twenty years of age. And where to begin? The page was blank and waiting for its first record. So this was, indeed, a momentous day. Her thoughts drifted back, stage by stage, over her career. As far as the long highway receded over the plain of her life, it was lined with the gilded and pillared splendors of her ambition all crumbled to ruin and ivy-grown. Every milestone marked a disaster. There was no green spot remaining anywhere in the memory of a hope that had found its fruition. The unresponsive earth had uttered no voice of flowers in testimony that one who was blessed had gone that road. Her life had been a failure, that was plain, she said. No more of that. She would now look the future in the face. She would mark her course upon the chart of life and follow it, follow it without swerving, through rocks and shoals, through storm and calm, to a haven of rest and peace, or shipwreck. Let the end be what it might, she would mark her course now, to-day, and follow it. On her table lay six or seven notes. They were from lovers, from some of the prominent names in the land, men whose devotion had survived even the grisly revealments of her character which the courts had uncurtained, men who knew her now just as she was, and yet pleaded as for their lives for the dear privilege of calling the murderous wife. As she read these passionate, these worshipping, these supplicating missives, the woman in her nature confessed itself. A strong yearning came upon her to lay her head upon a loyal breast and find rest from the conflict of life, solace for her griefs, the healing of love for her bruised heart. With her forehead resting upon her hand, she sat thinking, thinking, while the unheeded moments winged their flight 
It was one of those mornings in early spring when nature seems just stirring to a half-consciousness out of a long, exhausting lethargy, when the first faint balmy airs go wandering about, whispering the secret of the coming change, when the abused brown grass, newly relieved of snow, seems considering whether it can be worth the trouble and worry of contriving its green raiment again, only to fight the inevitable fight with the implacable winter, and be vanquished and buried once more. When the sun shines out, and a few birds venture forth, and lift up a forgotten song. When a strange stillness and suspense pervades the waiting air. It is a time when one's spirit is subdued and sad, one knows not why. When the past seems a storm-swept desolation, life a vanity and a burden, and the future but a way to death. It is a time when one is filled with vague longings, when one dreams of flight to peaceful islands in remote solitudes of the sea, or folds his hands and says, What is the use of struggling and toiling and worrying any more? Let us give it all up. It was into such a mood as this that Laura had drifted from the musings which the letters of her lovers had called up. Now she lifted her head and noted with surprise how the day had wasted. She thrust the letters aside, rose up, and went and stood at the window. But she was soon thinking again, and was only gazing into vacancy. By and by she turned. Her countenance had cleared. The dreamy look was gone out of her face. All indecision had vanished. The poise of her head and the firm set of her lips told that her resolution was formed. She moved toward the table with all the old dignity in her carriage, and all the old pride in her mien. She took up each letter in its turn, touched a match to it, and watched it slowly consume to ashes. Then she said, I have landed upon a foreign shore, and burned my ships behind me. These letters were the last thing that held me in sympathy with any remnant or belonging of the old life. Henceforth that life and all that it pertains to it are as dead to me and as far removed from me as if I were become a denizen of another world. She said that love was not for her. The time that it could have satisfied her heart was gone by and could not return. The opportunity was lost. Nothing could restore it. She said there could be no love without respect, and she would only despise a man who could content himself with a thing like her. Love, she said, was a woman's first necessity. Love being forfeited, there was but one thing left that could give a passing zest to a wasted life, and that was fame, admiration, the applause of the multitude. And so her resolution was taken. She would turn to that final resort of the disappointed of her sex, the lecture platform. She would array herself in fine attire, she would adorn herself with jewels, and stand in her isolated magnificence before massed audiences, and enchant them with her eloquence, and amaze them with her unapproachable beauty. She would move from city to city like a queen of romance, leaving marveling multitudes behind her, and impatient multitudes awaiting her coming. Her life, during one hour of each day, upon the platform, would be a rapturous intoxication, and when the curtain fell, and the lights were out, and the people gone, to nestle in their homes and forget her, she would find in sleep oblivion of her homelessness, if she could. If not, she would brave out the night in solitude and wait for the next day's hour of ecstasy. So, to take up life and begin again was no great evil. 
she saw her way she would be brave and strong she would make the best of what was left for her among the possibilities she sent for the lecture agent and matters were soon arranged straightway all the papers were filled with her name and all the dead walls flamed with it the papers called down imprecations upon her head they reviled her without stint they wondered if all sense of decency was dead in this shameless murderess this brazen lobbyist this heartless seducer of the affections of weak and misguided men they implored the people for the sake of their pure wives their sinless daughters for the sake of decency for the sake of public morals to give this wretched creature such a rebuke as should be an all-sufficient evidence to her and to such as her that there was a limit where the flaunting of their foul acts and opinions before the world must stop certain of them with a higher art and to her a finer cruelty a sharper torture uttered no abuse but always spoke of her in terms of mocking eulogy and ironical admiration everybody talked about the new wonder canvassed the theme of her proposed discourse and marveled how she would handle it laura's few friends wrote to her or came and talked with her and pleaded with her to retire while it was yet time and not attempt to face the gathering storm but it was fruitless she was stung to the quick by the comments of the newspapers her spirit was roused her ambition was towering now she was more determined than ever she would show these people what a hunted and persecuted woman could do the eventful night came laura arrived before the great lecture hall in a close carriage within five minutes of the time set for the lecture to begin when she stepped out of the vehicle her heart beat fast and her eyes flashed with exultation the whole street was packed with people and she could hardly force her way to the hall she reached the ante-room threw off her wraps and placed herself before the dressing-glass she turned herself this way and that everything was satisfactory her attire was perfect she smoothed her hair rearranged a jewel here and there and all the while her heart sang within her and her face was radiant she had not been so happy for ages and ages it seemed to her oh no she had never been so overwhelmingly grateful and happy in her whole life before the lecture agent appeared at the door she waved him away and said do not disturb me i want no introduction and do not fear for me the moment the hands point to eight i will step upon the platform he disappeared she held her watch before her she was so impatient that the second hand seemed whole tedious minutes dragging its way around the circle at last the supreme moment came and with head erect and the bearing of an empress she swept through the door and stood upon the stage her eyes fell upon only a vast brilliant emptiness there were not forty people in the house there were only a handful of coarse men and ten or twelve still coarser women lolling upon the benches and scattered about singly and in couples her pulses stood still her limbs quaked the gladness went out of her face there was a moment of silence and then a brutal laugh and an explosion of catcalls and hisses saluted her from the audience the clamor grew stronger and louder and insulting speeches were shouted at her a half-intoxicated man rose up and threw something which missed her but it bespatted a chair at her side and this evoked an outburst of laughter and boisterous admiration she was bewildered her strength was forsaking her 
she reeled away from the platform reached the ante-room and dropped helpless upon a sofa the lecture agent ran in with a hurried question upon his lips but she put forth her hands and with tears raining from her eyes said oh do not speak take me away please take me away out of this dreadful place oh this is like all of my life failure disappointment misery always misery always failure what have i done to be so pursued take me away i beg of you i implore you upon the pavement she was hustled by the mob the surging masses roared her name and accompanied it with every species of insulting epithet they thronged after the carriage hooting jeering cursing and even assailing the vehicle with missiles a stone crushed through a blind wounding laura's forehead and so stunning her that she hardly knew what further transpired during her flight it was long before her faculties were wholly restored and then she found herself lying on the floor by a sofa in her own sitting-room and alone so she supposed she must have sat down upon the sofa and afterward fallen she raised herself up with difficulty for the air was chilly and her limbs were stiff she turned up the gas and sought the glass she hardly knew herself so worn and old she looked and so marred with blood were her features the night was far spent and a dead stillness reigned she sat down by her table leaned her elbows upon it and put her face in her hands her thoughts wandered back over her old life again and her tears flowed unrestrained her pride was humbled her spirit was broken her memory found but one resting place it lingered about her young girlhood with a caressing regret it dwelt upon it as the one brief interval of her life that bore no curse she saw herself again in the budding grace of her twelve years decked in her dainty pride of ribbons consorting with the bees and the butterflies believing in fairies holding confidential converse with the flowers busying herself all day long with airy trifles that were as weighty to her as the affairs that tax the brains of diplomats and emperors she was without sin then and unacquainted with grief the world was full of sunshine and her heart was full of music from that to this if i could only die she said if i could only go back and be as i was then for one hour and hold my father's hand in mine again and see all the household about me as in that old innocent time and then die my god i am humbled my pride is all gone my stubborn heart repents have pity when the spring morning dawned the form still sat there the elbows resting upon the table and the face upon the hands all day long the figure sat there the sunshine enriching its costly raiment and flashing from its jewels twilight came and presently the stars but still the figure remained the moon found it there still and framed the picture with the shadow of the window-sash and flooded it with mellow light by and by the darkness swallowed it up and later the gray dawn revealed it again the new day grew toward its prime and still the forlorn presence was undisturbed but now the keepers of the house had become uneasy their periodical knocking still finding no response they burst open the door the jury of inquest found that death had resulted from heart disease and was instant and painless that was all merely heart disease end of chapter sixty